Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Thanking you once again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that I have with my brother and sisters, that you've given us yet another day, that we may be partakers in your word, that we might be edified by your spirit, that we might ever move closer to total sanctification which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And Lord, I pray for those who couldn't be here tonight. I pray for my brother James and all that he's going through. I pray for my brother Carlin, Lord, and all that he's dealing with right now. I pray for my sister Christina. I pray for, you know, my brother and sister, Sam and Deborah, Lord, as they've decided to follow you in new ways. I pray that you give them strength, wisdom, and resources that they may glorify you. I pray also for my dad, Lord, who's dealing with his issues and how he wants to pursue ministry now, Lord. And I pray that you give him the strength that he might pursue it and do yes, what you Lord call. God. I pray, Lord, for my, uh, I pray for Anna's uh, sister, Lord, that is not well and just lost a baby, Lord. I just pray that you strengthen her, Lord, yes, that you give her the faith to go forward and do what you tell us to do. That, Lord, we might not be hindered from the things that are in this life. That we may know that aside from you, Lord, we've got absolutely nothing. So I pray, Lord, that no man's heart be heard tonight. I pray that no flesh be glorified. But I pray, Lord, that we remain in your spirit, that we walk with you every day forsaken this present evil world. And I just pray, Lord, that from this moment, Lord, that you restore new life. As we head out in the streets tomorrow, Lord, I pray that your spirit be upon us. For it has been a while, Lord, but let us stay faithful to the commitments. What's more important than winning souls? What's more important than doing your will? What's more important, Lord, than you saying, well done, thou good and faithful servants? So I just pray, Lord, that you give us new life. I pray that you give us people of of, of like precious faith. People, Lord, that are hungry, Lord, that are willing to get out there in the battle, Lord, for these are the times you know, that, that try men's souls. There's so much, Lord, that's going on. There's so much that the enemy is planning. And Lord, if we've got another six months, then, you know, it would really be miraculous intervention in what you have called us to do. So we just pray and we trust in you and then we give it all to you. And we know that you are God and you are a great provider. You are good and your mercy endures forever. So, Lord, we pray and we ask that you do all that you need to do with it. For you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are faithful, just, and true and worthy of all praises. We pray, Lord, and we ask that all these things be done, Lord, for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, so, you know, these last couple of weeks, this ministry, man, and, and others... They've been under attack, and I'm hearing stories like this everywhere. You know, there's so many things that are going on that 
I think that God gives us a period where he wants us to get free of some things because if we don't, you know, things that we consider pleasures today will become prisons tomorrow. I'm, I'm really beginning to understand that and, and really get a grasp on it that if we're not serving him, if we're not doing what he likes, if we don't see things the way that he sees them, then eventually what happens to us is we begin to be bound by the things that we hold to our hearts. And that's why Jesus always tells us to free our hearts from things, free our hearts from desires and things of this life. You need the uh, chair, bro? Okay. To free us from, um, you know, the, the things of this life because, man, when you get through with it all, it just feels like you get drained. Lately, I've been feeling so beat up, you know, drained and tired, you know, and and I think part of it is Jesus said that those who cling to him, their joy will be full if we remain in him. So I think what we're doing is we're praying the Lord is filling us and we're giving it out to the world. And as you know, the world is self-serving and it doesn't give anything back. The world uses us like a battery. So it's, it's really important that we understand of how to be free and how to cling to Christ. Because if we stay with him, he says, man, those who wait on him. They will have the, what did he say, mount up their strength with the wings of eagles, that they will soar, that they will fly, that they will be full, their strength will be renewed. These are all things that God promises those who follow him. So tonight, what we're going to talk about is called, it's bigger than you. This is bigger than you. And why I wanted to go here, and the Lord just gave me this today, because this wasn't what I was intending to talk about, but I think at some point, you know, as we were talking about, if you get caught up in your life, your desires, the things that you want, you know, and everything that you just, we tend to encapsulate our lives with things that we like, and then we forget about there's a whole other life out there that pertains to others. And I think that, you know, what the Lord is trying to bring forward tonight and what he's put on my heart to speak about is we've got to care about more than just us because this thing is just not about us. And tonight we're going to give many examples of why it's not about us. Like a few weeks ago, we talked about has thou left our first love. And we were talking about how, you know, what happened to David was sort of a generational curse. What happened with David caused his whole family to go through, you know, these situations so when you look back on it, if David would have been doing exactly what God had asked him to do, David wouldn't have brought that grief to anyone else. So I think that that's what I'm, I'm going to be talking about tonight. Just a few examples how the sins that we commit can go unto the third and fourth generation. And, you know, when the Bible talks about I, I really thought about praying and um, putting a video on tonight. Do you remember the one that we did? Um, I think it's in the Hour of Temptation teaching. But it's called how Satan hinders prayers, how he gets people sleepy and he tries to disturb them through all sorts of outside distractions. And he'll use people to do things to you. And many of his attacks, they don't seem like attacks at all. They just seem like everyday life. You know, it's like you can be convicted in your conscience and in your heart. I'm sure this has happened to all of us. And we got to that place where we're like, you know what? I am going to just buckle down this week give it to God in prayer and fasting and do everything that God says. Now, you would think that that would be normal. You know, something that, okay, I'm going to get down in prayer and fasting. That's going to be the end of it. But as you can see, it's not that simple. Why? Because of the things that we're hooked to in this life. Even if it's not, and I'm not talking about enemies from outside. These things can come close. 
You know, it's like one of those things where you can tell your mom, um, well, I'm going to give the Lord prayer and fasting this week. And your mom will be, well, I thought you were coming over this week because, you know, we were planning to build a porch and we got a barbecue and we got things going on. And you're like, yeah, but, you know, we could do it next week. And, well, if you already told us you were going to, you know what I'm saying? So you get these outside attacks that they just look simple or, or they can not even be that aggressive, but just say, oh, come on, you know, you... Your dad hasn't seen you in a couple of weeks and all these things and you, all right, mom, you know, I'll go. But that can be an attack of the enemy. I'm not saying in every case, but I realize when you set yourself to pray, man, the enemy comes on strong and we've got to realize this is bigger than us. So in that video about Satan hinders prayers, he said that many of God's angels at times, like if you're a weak prayer, Sometimes your prayers don't even get to God because the devil builds rocks, you know, like surfaces over so that you can't get to God. And I think in some ways the Lord allows him to do this because God means for us to pray through. And we know that this realm belongs to the enemy. So it says that weak prayers don't even go farther than the rock, like it'll just hit the rocks and just come back down. But when you stay down in prayer and you pray through, it says that there's a heat that begins to come up. And it can burn through the rocks. And if you stay down long enough, you'll break through to the place of God actually, you know, like a hole open where God will keep that hole open as long as you want it to. As long as you stay with God and you don't let anything cover that, you're in good standing with God. And it said that, you know, you'll have no problem bringing people to the Lord. So we got to understand why even Jesus, it was so easy for him to just say, pick up your stuff and follow me. Because there was a great light between he and the father and you can run into unbelievers, but it says that, you know, it won't be hard to convince them. Like you can just tell, I mean, of course, everybody's not going to accept it, but what he's saying is it won't be hard. You just start talking, they'll talk. And we witnessed this and we've gone out fasting. When we're fasting and we step in the streets, all of a sudden people want to listen to us. But the reason I brought all this up is because the guy mentioned that angels we all have angels tied to us. The guy says that he prayed over it and he fasted in the, for 10 days and the Lord gave him the answers to this. But sometimes when we don't pray heavy, the, um, the angels themselves, or we find ourselves worldly, your angels can get bound by the enemy, not forever, but for a short period of time. And this is why at times we can feel so weak and we can feel grieved and we can just feel like, man, I'm so lonely, I'm so defeated, I'm so this and that. Because the angels that you're supposed to be praying, not to strengthen, well, it does strengthen them, but you're praying to God. But that in some ways, if you get stronger with God, then they will get stronger with God. It's almost like you're giving them the weapons to fight with. Now, I know I'm going to get some pushback for this because people are going to say, where's the scriptural basis for it? And we can go to Matthew 16 to prove that point where Jesus said, upon this rock, upon him, he would build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he also said, you are Peter, you know, Petra, meaning little stone. And then he says, upon this rock, Petros, which is Christ, he said, I'll build my church. But then he made clear, I have given to you, or I will give to you the keys of the kingdom. What is that? The Holy Spirit. That's authority, okay, to be able to do it. And he says, that which is bound on earth by you will be bound in heaven. That which is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. So if we're tied up 
or we keep leading the angels into places where they're not familiar because they're only here for one reason. That's the war for you to get stronger with Christ. And we're not worshiping angels. I'm just making a point that if we are to, you know, find ourselves bound, then we get them bound. And in many ways, we hinder the whole war with everything God is trying to do. Because the Bible makes clear, God means for every single individual to get stronger. He wants us all to be saved. He says that he's calling all men to repentance. It is not in God that one man should perish. But where we fall victim sometimes is, it's almost like we start walking the way that will make us perish, and we hinder the walk. Now, I want to say, even with me in many cases, I've done this to other people. There were times the Lord had told me, to give over to fasting and prayer and spend time with him and get stronger in him. And I just, you know, live my life for the week. And then I realized that which I wanted to bring forward to the ministry, I can't do now because the, the um, revelation or the inspiration is not there. So it's important at times that we give ourselves over to these things that other people can be reached. Jesus said in John 17, I sanctify myself that I may sanctify them. Why? So that the people can be reached. So what we've got to understand is this thing is so much bigger than us. And I think if we stop looking at self and we give it to God, then God will do everything that he intends to do. But we got to recognize every decision we make down here, it's either God or the devil. There is no in between. Now, God don't mind us going places and doing things, but ask God, is that okay? Will this hinder me in any walk? Is this something for us? And most likely, you know, God will go. Take time, get your head right, do whatever, and come back. But the point is, is that we've got to ask God for these things because the enemy is being really slick and he's trying to keep people from serving God. You know, and, and if you think about Noah, if he was ever to just think like us, not one of us would be here. If Noah said, you know what? I haven't spent a whole lot of time with my boys. And my wife needs to be with me. And she's worried about me being away, you know, building this ark. The ark wouldn't have been complete. And you know what? God would have had to find someone else. But we would have all died. Everyone would have been dead if it wasn't on the back of one man believing God enough to preserve us unto the other end of the flood. You know, and you get countless examples of like this in the Bible where people were given over to God so that they could be used to reach other people. But in this world today... We're trying our best to take care of us and our flock and forget about everything out there. And that's not the heart of God. So what we got to understand is there are things that we can do that can hinder this war, that can hinder our walks, that can hurt our children, that can hurt our families. You know, if, we, if we're not in good standing with God, because I, I know in the end times when they talk about this war becoming more spiritual and things going on, God's going to look at what's in proper headship. Is the man of the house, the man of the, the head of the house, spiritual head? You know, so God's angels can govern that area. You know, is this person given over to prayer and fasting? Can this person represent me? Can this person do this? God is going to be looking to see his order. He's going to be looking to see who's obedient to him and who's not. Noah was a preacher of righteousness for what, 120 years? Nobody less than him. They thought he was crazy. You're building a boat here, you fool. And, uh, you know, there's no water. There's nothing going on. But thank God that Noah, someone like him, believed God and understood that this was more than him and his little family of eight. That he, his obedience is what preserved man to the end. 
Man, that's important stuff to think about because I'm seeing it today where I even walk by people sometimes that I don't minister to. But today the Lord was on my case and I ministered to quite a few people and got some really good results, you know, speaking to them and everything. And, you know, we'll see what happens because you know that the person that you speak to, they have to be willing as well. This is not just a thing of you rescuing. It's someone that also has to want this. All right. So I want to get started. I want to go to um, First Chronicles chapter 12. First Chronicles 12. Spots. He can just find it. Bang! Boom! Flip right over. All right. All right. So this is um, First Chronicles chapter twelve. Let's look at verse one. It says, "Now these are they that came to David to Ziklag, or Ziklag, or while he yet kept himself closed, because of Saul and the son of Kish, and they were among the mighty men, helpers of war." So this was a time where David was um, being chased by Saul. He knew not to come back to, to Jerusalem. And these were mighty men that were here with him. You know, helpers in war. Verse 2, they were armed with bows and could use both the right hand and the left and hurling stones and shooting arrows out of a bow, even of Saul, brethren of Benjamin, Saul's brethren of Benjamin. Then it says, of the chief was Ahizer and Joash, the sons of Shammah, the Gibeathite, and uh, Jezeel, and Pele, and the son of Asmaveth, I think that's it, okay, Asmaveth, and Baraka, and Jehu, and <laughs> Jehu the Antithite, and Ishmael, uh, the Gibeonite, and mighty man among the thirty, and over the thirty, and Jeremiah, and Jezeel, <laughs> Jehaziel and Jehanan and Josabed and Gedarathite, uh, the Gedarathite. I mean, this is throwing me off. The Elusite and Jeremoth and uh, Bealia and Shemaria and Shephatha, uh, the Herothite or Herophite. And, you know, let me just skip down because, man, all these names, I just want to get down to them. Look at verse 8. And of the Gadites were separated themselves unto David into an hole to the wilderness, men of might and men of war, fit for the battle and could handle shield and buckler, whose faces were like the faces of lions and were as swift as the rose upon the mountain. You know, um, I often wonder about this scripture because I um, Googled today, was David and his mighty men actually, um, you know, like some of them were they Nephilim, you know, because I, the way that they spoke of these guys and how they would run and being able to do this stuff, I know that the Nephilim built the Temple of Solomon, 
You know, you can look that up and find the Amorites and the Gergesites in the, you know, in, in First Kings 9. So I often wondered, were they, you know, he did have mighty men, no doubt. But were there a few giants mixed in there with him, even though they were killing him? I don't know. But it's the way he's describing them. It says faces like lions. Now, I know that the Bible says that that means brave men, like men that were brave, men that would go to war. But you would describe their faces like lions. I mean, it's just something to think about. And then it says, as were swift as the rose upon the mountains. And rose are kind of like deer or gazelles or whatever that they can run. So these guys were fast. Then it says, Ezra the first, Obadiah the second, Eliab the third, Mishmana the fourth, Jeremiah the fifth, Atai the sixth, Eliel uh, the seventh, Johanan the eighth, Elzabad uh, the ninth, uh, Jeremiah the tenth, Maccabani or Macbani the eleventh. These were the sons of Gad, captains of the host. One of the least was over in hundred, and of the greatest over a thousand. These are they that went over Jordan in the first month when it had uh, overflown all his banks. And they put to flight all them of the valleys, both toward the east and toward the west. And there came to the children of Benjamin and Judah to the hold unto David. And David went out to meet them and answered and said unto them, If ye be come peaceably unto me to help me, mine heart shall be knit unto you. But if ye be come uh, to betray me to mine enemies, seeing there is no wrong in mine hands, the God of our fathers look thereon and rebuke it. So David is saying that if they were to work together, these were all mighty men, skillful in war. And David is saying, if all you guys will work with me, he said, my soul will be knit to yours. But if not, and you betray me, he was like, God will rebuke it, like deal with it for him. 18. Then the spirit came uh, upon a, Amasai, who was chief of the captains, and he said, Thine are we, David, and on thy side, thou son of Jesse, peace, peace be unto thee, and peace be to thine helpers. For thy God helpeth thee. Then David received them and made them captains of the band. And there fell some of, some of Manasseh to David uh, when he came with the Philistines against Saul to battle, but they helped him not. They helped him not for the lords of the Philistines upon advisement sent him away saying he will fall to his master's soul to the jeopardy of our hands. So, you know, the Philistines were enemies of David. David had to actually hang out with the Philistines for a while in order to regroup and get himself together. But even the Philistines knew I'm not fighting with you against Israel because there's no telling what's going to happen. So that, you know, Philistines are types of unbelievers that don't share the same faith. They're not going to back you up. They believe David was going to lose the war. So they they decided not to help him, but David's mighty men are right there with him. All right. So then he says in verse uh, 20, as he went to Zitlag, there fell to him of Manasseh, Adna, and Josabed, and Jediel, and Michael, and Josabed, and Elihu, and Zitha, and Ziltha, uh, captain of the thousands that were of Manasseh. And he and they helped David against the band of the rovers, for they were almighty men of valor and were captains in the host. So one thing, I, I don't think uh, God's motives ever change towards men. Like, you know, a lot of people feel today, well, now that we follow Jesus, that, you know, we ought to love our neighbor, no doubt. 
you know, but I do believe that God still meant for his men to be mighty men. I still believe that like Henry Groover is someone I would consider a mighty man. He's probably 120 pounds soaking wet, but that man is full of the spirit. That man, there's nothing he won't go or anything he won't do, but we've got to keep him in prayer too, because he's um, going through something right now. He's getting his strength up. He's feeling better, but you know, he misses his wife. So he's been home with, you know, in her room and everything. So it's going to take him maybe a few months, maybe even a year, you know, to get back together. Why? Because a part of him has been torn out, you know? So anyway, just to stick with the subject, verse 22, for at that day by day, there came to David to help him until it was a great host, like the host of God. And these are the numbers of the bands that were ready armed to the war and came to David to Hebron, um, to turn uh, the kingdom of Saul to him according to the word of the Lord. So as you can see, when God is with you, like you said, nobody can be against you. David had a few mighty men, but then all of a sudden, these tribes of Israel, God was calling them to help David. And I mean, they were everywhere to the point where they became a massive army. Why? Because the anointing was on David and everybody knew it. Verse 24, the children of Judah that bear shield and spear were 6,000 and 800 ready armed to the war. Of the children of Simeon, mighty men of valor for the war, 7,100. Of the children of Levi, 4,600. And Jehoiada was the leader of the Aaronites, and with him were 3,700. Uh, and Zedek, a young man, mighty in valor, and his father's house, 20 and two captains. And of the children of Benjamin, the kindred of Saul, 3,000 for hitherto, uh, the greatest part of them had, had kept the ward of the house of Saul. So you even got Saul's relatives wanting to be a part of this to actually help David out. Verse 30, I promise we're going somewhere. And the children of Ephraim, 20,800 mighty men of valor, famous through the house of their fathers, and of the half-tribe of Manasseh, 18,000, which were expressed by name to come to make David king. So as you can see, the whole goal here is why all these people are banding together is they want to make David king. This is important to them. Verse 32, and of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, the heads of them were 200 and all their brethren were at their commandment. Of Zebulon, such went forth to battle, expert in war, with all instruments of war, 50,000 which could keep rank, they were not of double heart. So what you can see here with these guys is they all were keeping rank. They were like, hey, no matter what the placement is, we're all going to be in line. That would be equivalent today. When it's time to get together to pray, they were together to pray. When it came time to go and preach the gospel, they preached the gospel. When it came time to, you know, cast out demons, they were skilled at casting out demons. When it came to laying hands on the sick, they didn't have any fear. The reason why I'm bringing this to today's terms is because it spoke of them being mighty men in God's army that didn't break ranks. Now, what would David be to us right now? David would be a type of you and I that are in this army, okay? But, well, no, David would be a type of Christ. Those mighty men would be a type of you and I that their whole goal was to make David king. So what did they want to do? Lift up David. They were all in line for one purpose. Not one person in this army thinking of self that we are going to make David the king. And it said that they were not double-hearted. 
So if some people wanted to make David king and other people didn't want to make David king, the thing is, is that God will, you know what I mean? The army can't move like that. So all those that were enlisted, their hearts were knit to David, that David was able to use them and they were mighty men. So you see, if we all, like if Christians today would all be on one accord, I'm not talking about other religions. I'm talking about those who are real Christians at the household of faith. If we would all come together and forsake self and give it to Christ and say, you know what, Lord, nothing's more important right now than enlisting in your army, winning souls, uplifting your name, no matter what I got, where I got to go, no matter what I have to do, it's all about making you the king because that's what we're doing. Christ is king, but we're letting, excuse me, getting a little hyped up, but we're letting people know that David, that, that Christ is king. Remember when um, in Acts 17, they said, these people have turned the world upside down because we follow the commandments of Caesar. But now we're finding out that they're talking about that there was another king, one Jesus. So we know that Jesus was the king that everybody was preaching of, of his coming, why we all need him, what we need to do. They made themselves available for Christ which is why that movement, when it says God added to the church daily, man, because that movement was so strong, you know? And it doesn't take a whole lot of people to do this, but it says that they were not of double heart. They could keep ranks. They could be there, but they were not double-hearted. So even back then, the gospel applies. Like, we can't even have our prayers answered if we've got a double heart, you know? Because God wants you to serve him with a pure heart that you may do what he tells you to do. Okay, we got to be on. And Jesus said what? He that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth. So that's something that you see how it applies today. The same thing that went on then. Now, we ain't got bows and arrows and shields, but we do have spiritual weapons that are described as such things. You know, so verse 34, and of Naphtali, a thousand captains and with them and with them with shield and spear 30 and 7,000. I mean, when you add this up, I never did. But I'm wondering, there's like a million people here. You know, you didn't know it was that many people in Israel, you know. And these are just the warriors. Not even everybody right. included. So, that's crazy. All right, so anyway, so uh, verse 35. And of the Danites, expert in war, 20 and 8,600. And of Asher... Such as went forth to battle, expert in war, 40,000. And on the other side of Jordan, of the Reubenites and the Gadites, and of the half-tribe of Manasseh, with all manner of instruments of war, for the battle, and 120,000. All these men of war that could keep rank uh, came with a perfect heart um, uh, to Hebron to make David king over all Israel, and all the rest also of Israel were of one heart to make David king. So we understand that these guys were all perfect in heart. They were all of one heart and they only had one goal. They didn't, some of them didn't say, well, I hope there's money at the end of this, this war. You know, hopefully when David conquers, we'll be able to have the riches. Their whole goal inside and out was to make David king. Man, if the Christian only stood up to do what God says, that's what would happen. Man, it would be like an overflow. Verse 39. And there they were with David three days eating and drinking for their brethren had prepared for them. Moreover, they that were nigh them, uh, even unto Issachar and Zebulon and Naphtali 
brought bread on asses and on camels and on mules and on oxen and meat and, and meat uh, meal cakes of figs and bunches of raisins and wine and oil and oxen and sheep abundantly for there was joy in Israel. So man, we want to know where our joy is. Our joy goes to the harlot, which is why we feel so tired and out of it. But when we give that joy to Christ, man, you watch how a church will pick up, how people will start to come together and decide to do what God says. The devil fears this. It's why he pushes this world that your life is so important. There's nothing more frustrating than listening to somebody talk about themselves all day long, about their lives. You know, this going on, you can't even start a sentence and tell somebody, yeah, I had a good day at work, you know, or, um, you know, my family's doing well. Oh, yeah, mine too. But let me tell you what my father did to me the other day. And that's all you hear. You just sit back listening. Yeah, they, you know, this happened. That's why I don't like people. That's why I don't do this and that. And you just sit there like, man, this person is so self-absorbed that they can't even see what's painfully obvious of what God is desiring for his people. So, you know, that's important to recognize that we got to understand what God wants. But if we, if the devil can convince us that we ourselves are important, then what ends up happening is we forget about what God wants. So as you can see, these guys were all perfect in heart, all single-minded, all focused on God. And because of that, making David the king, these guys were able to move as a fighting unit. Man, the devil is so slick at what he does when he tries to divide people because well, um, I was in uh, First Chronicles 12, but we're about to leave now. We're going to uh, Luke chapter 6. But, you know, that's just one of the things that we've got to understand about what God's will is and what our will is. The reason why it's important to, to be in God's will and not our own is because, like I said, this thing is bigger than us. Mm -hmm. This thing is bigger than you. There are so many things that happen on a day-to-day -day basis when we make decisions. You'd be surprised the battles that go on in the spirit realm. There was a time that the devil would attack me the night before. I knew that the Lord was about to use me. This is exactly how he'll go. He'll tell you to pray and you give over the TV and other things and doing the stuff that you want. And that's how you spend your night. And then the next day, you got seven people coming up to you for prayer talking about this and that, and you don't even feel full. Man, this is how the devil works. So we've got to learn how to walk with God and do what he says, you know? So that's one of the things. We've got to learn to follow him. All right, so this is uh, Luke chapter 6. You know, I was reading about a number, about mm -hmm. the, it's called the Book of the Wars of the Lord. Mm -hmm. I try to look it up, and it's like, there's a book online, but it's not the right book, I guess. It no, it's false, right? yeah. But it's like, can you imagine the information that was in there about these these people that were like the warriors and how solid they were? You know, mm -hmm. like, they sure were. I mean, I have more information than what. Exactly, I've like seen. But it's like it's at least it's a good account of like the, the numbers, mm -hmm. or members, or. You know. And I mean, I'm sure there's people that know where those books are. You know what I mean? But the the because there's books on Edu. Who is Edu the prophet? You know, we only hear very little of him. Who is well? We know who Nathan the prophet is, but. It said that Nathan did more than just go and tell David what he told him. There was an actual book on Nathan. So, yeah, they try to rob God's word. But you know what? God has preserved it. You know, he's got it done to the place where this is all we need. At least we got this. You know, for growth. Exactly. 
But yeah, there are people that got all that information. But when you study Israel, and they'll never tell you this, they push up the Romans, they push up the Egyptians, they push up the Greeks and all their warriors, but none of them compared to Israel. If they were to actually play out and say, man, Israel battled giants, their God parted the Red Sea, you know, see, they don't want you to know this because they don't want you to know the one true God. I saw this um, documentary on the History Channel, and it was supposed to be Heroes in the Bible. So they were supposed to explain and breaking down war. They pretty much called Joshua, I mean, you know, he was just a murdering beast because he killed men, women, and children. But the bottom line is, you know, that they were Nephilim, the Nephilim tribes that he was dealing with. God called for them all to be destroyed. Why? Because they were not God's people. They weren't even really human as you would consider a human. So then they got to David and they said, David is no more than a mafia don. I mean, when you look at what he did, he caused, um, what's the other one? Uh, you know, Uriah the Hittite to be killed and he's with his wife. But then when they got to Alexander the Great and all these other guys, oh, they were awesome men of war. And Alexander the Great was a homosexual, okay, that they, they didn't even believe in, you know, God or anything like that. But they they call those people great. But when it comes to the Bible, Oh, man, these guys were no good. You know, they were just so evil. But this is... Uncle Vinny, who's from the mafia? Pretty much, you know? <laughs> that's how they were treating him. Like, this guy is just a mafia, you know, one of the Corleone family, you know? Yeah. It's just... I mean, it's like, come on. Well, of course they're going to downplay it because they don't mm -hmm. want... They don't... I mean, it's the History Channel. Mm -hmm. Exactly. They're always trying to put down God, but that's why we got to recognize that this is so much bigger than us because while we're just sitting here, there's angels of the Lord fighting against the enemy. You see what I'm saying? So that we can actually hear this. You know what the devil would like to do? Start playing some wild music, you know, doing all sorts of things to distract you, to keep you from doing this. So we've got to learn to stay with God and do what he says. So this is Luke chapter six. We're going to begin at verse 12 and it says, and it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto, his, unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. Now, Jesus prayed all night. Now, mind you, it never mentioned that Jesus slept. It says that he prayed all night, and then he got up in the, you know, in the morning, he came to pick some apostles. So we got to understand, you don't think that Jesus recognized that this was bigger than him, that this was bigger than anything else going on, preparing himself the night before so that he can do the will of the Father today, you know, that day. Verse 14, Simon, whom was also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zelotes, and I guess he was a zealot, verse um. 16, and Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which was the traitor. And he came down with them and stood in the plain and in the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear, to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. So notice he makes himself available. And you see how with that light, with that anointing, with that power, how the people flocked to him, okay? But he's prepared because of what he did the night before, okay? So look at uh, verse 18. And they that were vexed 
uh, with unclean spirits, and they that were healed, uh, and the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. So notice he talks about the poor, that theirs is the kingdom of God. So it sounds like people that have forsaken many things in this life to walk with God, okay? Then it says, blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. So do we hunger for Jesus like we hunger for food? Do we hunger in prayer that we can be filled like we hunger in fulfilling the needs of our flesh? This is something to think about, you know? It's something to really think about. Do we desire Jesus like we have desires for the flesh? So he's telling us what keeps us from serving God the way that God wants. Because some of us will do what we do and then we think we've done our Christian duty. But do you really hunger and thirst after God like you would in a desert for a cup of water? That's how real he's got to be to us. Yes, Sarah. And I even noticed too, like, um, like on Sundays or, or Tuesday night, I come home here and I get like a refresher. You know, when it comes to Bible study and everything like that, and I feel um, on fire for the Lord, mm-hmm. or convicted even, because it's like he'll he'll, uh, he'll convict me during the Bible study about things that I am or I am not doing, and it's like okay, that's you know I realize there's something I need to work on, and then it's like I'm gonna start doing this at work and stuff like that, and keep my mind focused on the Lord, but. Where I work, it's like, you know, you got people cussing and saying stuff, like, all the time, all day. And it's like, I, I guess at times I don't really realize how much it weighs on, on on my spirit and stuff like that until I get home. And it's just like, man, I feel bogged down. You absorb it like a sponge. And see, this is how Christians really deal with things. We don't let the world dictate to us. We dictate to the world. Mm-hmm. See, Christians see the world through God's eyes. We see the world as it is. So we're not, the world doesn't feed us anything. We we look at the world with the perception of God. This is good. This is evil. But you notice worldly people, they have this thing of when they hear something on the news, the world dictates to you. To an unbeliever, the world dictates to you. You know, when you play the music or whatever, you just absorb. You just believe everything that they tell you. You know, you don't even question some things because the world is controlling you. But see, when you when you come of God, you know this is good, this is evil. This is of God, that's not of God. So you see the world with a complete different perspective. And we are sponges. So when we don't claim the land for God and make a stand for him, the devil will in turn, you know, push back on you to where he can try and confound you. I'm, I'm learning this. When I go into a work environment, I realize the world tries to get friendly with me and push up on me. I start talking about Christ. They kind of like, you know, distance themselves. You may find some people that may come in, but other people won't, you know. But I realize that if you don't recognize that this is an opportunity for the Lord and you sit there and you work, I realize the devil will now lean on you because you haven't claimed the land for Christ. Okay, and I'm not saying you take over the job. The point I'm making is while you're there, let that light shine because if not, the devil's going to try and push it out and then try and lean on you. And this is what I was um, talking to Christina about and other people because she says she's getting bogged down with work and school and everything. But it's because we're not letting that joy of Christ work in us. 
that the environment is dictating to us, we should be dictating to the environment. So, see, anything that you're not going against to work for Christ or to do what he says, the world will make you its slave. Now I want you to go here. Now I want you to do this. But these should be moments that we give Jesus. You know, and I realize when we do that, man, I feel so free because some people that wanted me to go out drinking with them, they're not going to ask because they know I don't want anything to do with it. But then you'll find some people will come up to you and, hey, so when do you guys do study and things like that? And, you know, I'm looking for a place and, you know, I'm going to try and make my schedule match up. But it's good when, you know, we wonder why the whole world's against us. That's because we haven't tried to recruit anyone in the Lord's army. So, of course, you're fighting alone because, you know, the harvest is fresh for us to go and get people. But we sit there and, no, I don't want to do this and that. So then you're letting the devil take them. And it's just that simple. All right. So do we hunger for Christ like we hunger for the world? That's something to think about. Okay. Verse 22. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast you out. And cast you out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. So he says, rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. So Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, everybody's not going to hate you. But you're going to find people that want nothing to do with you and speak evil of you because of me. See, that's why if we're Christians. We shouldn't be worried about outward performance. We should be worried about conquering inner space that, hey, this is what the Lord wants for me. If people don't like me, hey, I can't control that. I just need to continue doing what I'm doing. But there are many times we find ourselves worried, you know, about things or how people treat us or, you know, this person didn't speak to me. And you got to really ask ourselves, why do you care? Why is that such a concern to you that someone didn't speak to you? But this is how hooked we are on receiving our own attention. But once again, this thing is bigger than us. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We should be praying against those things that have people bound. Lord, give me the answers. Lord, show me what to do. But when we get ourselves caught up in what they did to me, that makes you a self-idolater because this is never about you to begin with. This is about Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. All right. If anybody wants to add anything they can or questions, if not, we're going to go to verse 24. Because Jesus is telling the people what's coming their way. Mm -hmm. yeah. You going to say something? Uh -huh. Earlier I was. Uh -huh. was just the idea that uh, guys, when he sends an army to an area, he just like clears everybody out. Mm -hmm. And it was an example in the U.S. Kind of like Saddam Hussein and like just everything that Iraq, ISIS, everybody. Uh, right now, the reason they're in there, I was talking to somebody in the military, was because there was an area that... America had gone in with like an overkill of people, mm -hmm. uh, of uh, soldiers to clear the area, and they cleared the area of women, children. Mm -hmm. I mean the whole, the whole nine yards. But they left um, missiles, warheads, guns. They left everything. Mm -hmm. They didn't take it. Right. So now, uh, so after a few years, all of those other countries, when they wanted to rebel against America, mm -hmm. would come to that country that they left those things in mm -hmm. and arm up to go against America mm -hmm. and attack America. Yep, that's exactly right. I mean, we've seen Iran at one point was the enemy of America, and then we sided with Iraq against them. And then you give it a few years later, I remember, you know, then Iran, like you know, is the enemy, or Iraq yeah. is the enemy, 
and Iran was supposed to be helping to make sure they didn't get into their borders. And it's just a game. You just see people play, you know, and deal with stuff. But it's so true. If you don't wipe out the enemy, if you don't keep the enemy on the outskirts, he will bear fruit. And Jesus knows this. And, and you know, that's in many ways where the Lord, uh, he has, you know, God can come and annihilate anything at any time. But we got to understand that God has respect for his adversary because he tells you not to take him for granted. Don't be ignorant of his devices. Pay attention to what's going on. Because I'm telling you, many of the attacks that the enemy is hitting the church with don't even look like war. Mm. It looks like love. It looks like peace. It looks like joy, having a good old time. But you don't realize, you didn't hear the Lord telling you, I needed you here today. I needed you to pray and be prepared. So when God calls us to serve him and do what he wants, we can't let things hinder us, man. This is so important that we get full. Because like I said, and we use this point Many times, if we were ever going to see the Lord later on, I guarantee you, if we knew that our judgment day was this Saturday, that'd be the only thing on your mind. Okay, it would be the only thing. When they would say, Anna, you got an appointment at 8.30 with the Lord, at, at, you know, on Saturday. Sarah, you going at 10.30. You know, Sam and Deborah, you guys, y'all going in about 12. And Martin, you going in at 1.30. You know, and Derek, you're going in right after them. I mean, I'm telling you, you're going to be, all right, Lord, I need to pray. And I'm not saying live in fear, but we got to understand something. Wouldn't that be most important to you? Because you know that day you're either going to be accepted or rejected. But you see how that matters more than anything else? When it boils down to it, you start really thinking about what's important. You know what our problem is? We think we got time to do the things that God calls us to do. We don't take every day as our last. We don't look at days like where the Bible tells us to, you know, prepare or always, um, what is the, what did he say? Get prepared that, you know, for the coming of the Lord. He can come at any time. He's coming as a thief in the night. And he says if he catches that individual, that servant, slothful, you know, hanging out with the drunkards, doing the things that he do, he said that he's going to give him his portion in hell with the unbeliever. So it's like, in many ways, we don't take him serious enough to know that there are things going on that he wants us to do, you know? And, and it's not about, you know, trying to make sure you do this and that, but be available to hear God's word, hear his spirit. I realize through fasting and prayer, you really do hear God and you have this thing in your heart that just pulls more to what he wants. And I mean, that's not supernatural. It's just a, a simple thing of if you feed the flesh, the spirit is weak. If you, if you feed the spirit, the flesh is weak. So it's like, what side of things do you want to be on? But what's so unfortunate to us about this society and this world is it's become more real to us than God has. And when we deal like that, you know, it's hard to believe God. It's hard to serve God with every ounce of you. And, and, and we're so ignorant to the spirit. There's so many things we don't even know on that side of things. We know everything there is to know about this life and, you know, in the flesh. But, man, have we ever just tried God like we tried the world? You know, going through your little grade school, first grade, second grade, growing with God, making sure you got all your A's, you know, following the Lord with a pure heart to the point to where I'm not going to say you ever really graduate, but Christ in you. But have we ever pursued a spiritual life like that where, man, God is just helping us grow? But you see how we are with the world? We make sure that everything on this side of things has to be right. But over here, man, I can get to it when I have time. 
But you know what's funny? If we treated the world like we treated God, you'd be fired from work, okay? You'd be divorced, okay? Your children would probably be in rags, you know, looking all filthy and everything else and neglected because we haven't given them the time. Well, God needs that time too. If we're birthing Christ, we've got to feed Jesus. We've got to have that Christ child built in us to the point to where he is formed in us. But many of us, we neglect him. You know, we overlook him. But that's because we don't recognize how big this war is. This is all about Jesus. This is all about the whole agenda of what the Father wants. But we just pay so much attention to what we want, aside from what he wants. And in doing so, the devil is walking up us and down the back of us because we're not even recognizing we're at war. Man, this is important. You know, I'm not saying you can't do things in this life. I'm just saying we need to recognize our position and where we are with Christ. That's so important. All right, so verse 24, But woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. So what is Jesus saying? That in a, in a walk pursuing him, he says they are rich. He gives understanding about it, but I think he means those that live the rich life. He's not meaning those who have. He's saying for those who are just, I mean, you know how most rich people are. Most rich people are rude. Money is God. So when he says, woe unto those that are rich, it's not, oh, I got money, I'm going to hell. That's not what he's saying. He's talking more about, you know, those who live the rich, expensive life, those who don't care for their neighbor, those who are just lavishing and money is their God. But he said, you've received your consolation. You've had a perfect life here. Don't expect anything there. Why? Because you haven't forsaken a thing. That's something to think about. He says, woe unto you that are full. That means people that, you know, there are some people that know too much for God. There are some people that you can't tell them anything because they know everything. I don't need a savior. I take care of my own life. Okay, so you're full, then you'll be cut off too. For ye shall hunger, you'll be lacking. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. So, you know, when the Bible tells us to adore, endure afflictions and go forward with this and pursue him, he's saying not that we won't be able to laugh, but man, this is a serious thing. You know, um, A.A. A. Allen in his book, I plan on doing a teaching um, soon about idle words. And he made very clear that idle words or foolish talk uh, really shows you how filthy you are on the inside. He's saying that if you're somebody that can crack jokes all day, it just shows you iniquity. Because if every idle word is going to be judged, while you sat here making us laugh for 20 minutes, you could have been talking about Jesus. You see what I'm saying? It's like you're not using the tongue for what it's used for, which is to glorify God. You're using it for your own pleasures. So, you know, he's saying that idle words and foolish talking and jesting, which I've been known to do. But I'm just saying, you know, these things don't glorify God. It's foolishness. You know, the Lord is saying things are far more serious than this. You know, so if he's judging every idle word, let's think about this. What is he expecting to hear out of your mouth? Think about that. What is he expecting to hear? Because he knows that we have to talk. We have to communicate. But if every idle word is being brought into judgment, what is God expecting to come out of your mouth? Just something to think about. Verse 26, Woe unto you, for all men shall speak well of you. 
I mean, when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers unto the false prophets. So as you can see, false prophets are loved. False prophets, everybody flocks to, everybody wants to be with. They make you feel happy and fuzzy, and I'm really enjoying this because the gospel just don't draw people like that. When you tell people about the willingness to follow God, forsaking your will and desiring his, to die out daily that Christ can live in you to reach others and to live your life almost as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to God, that doesn't draw the masses to the carnal mind. Okay, most people want to be entertained. And because of that, they miss the big picture about this is being bigger than us. So, you know, I'm not trying to preach defeat here. I'm just making the point that we've got to understand that there is a whole nother plane of existence that we know nothing about. And what God wants to encourage us to do is draw closer. You know, the closer we draw to God, the more foreign the world will become. The closer we are to the world, the more foreign God is to us. So that's what we got to understand. Where we spend the most time is who you are going to align yourself with. Not just your thinking, but your beliefs, and more importantly, your heart. What you align yourself to becomes more real than that which you don't. So that's important. Okay, uh, verse 27, he says, But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them that hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them that despitefully use you. So if you notice here, this sounds really nice, but this is not something that the flesh is willing to do because the flesh responds how it's usually responded to. When he says, love your enemies, even those that hate you, people would love them that hate me. No, if they say this to me, I'm going to say this right back to them. But as you can see, that's the mentality that people have. That's the worldly mind. You know, uh, if he does this to you, hit him back. If they try and sue you, get there and sue him first. You know, if his eyes are moving a little funny, hit him in the mouth. This is what the world teaches you. But you see how what God is calling for is a, is a more disciplined life after him to be like him? Man, this is really awesome. All right, so he says, um, verse 29, And unto him that smiteth thee on one cheek, offer him also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Now, why is Jesus saying this? Because do we realize that if we allow the devil to allow us to disobey any of this, then we give the devil an inroad into your life. Okay, if you fight for that jacket that someone wants, okay, then that makes you in many ways an idolater because Jesus is saying, let it go. Now, I know that sounds real hard. Like, I ain't giving up my chain. I'm not giving up anything I have or whatever like that, but... What he's saying is if we were to respond violently or in the opposite ways of God, we give the devil a chance to get into us. All right. So he says in verse 30, give to every man that asketh of thee and of him that taketh away thy goods. Ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. So as you can see, just showing love to those who love you, that's nothing. God is calling for a greater love, a true love, that whether or not they hate you, God is for you, you know, or, or you, you ought to be pure in heart towards them. Why? Because this thing is bigger than you and I. This is all about glorifying God. Now, we're going to get to why he tells us this. 
All right, so I think I'm in verse uh, 33. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great. And ye shall be the children of the highest. And he is kind, I mean, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. So now we understand. He wants us to become the children of the highest. But you see how on a physical plane, it, you feel like it's your fight versus theirs. But we don't, represent, we don't recognize that we're representing God and what he calls us to do. So wouldn't it be greater to be called the child of the highest than to respond to someone who spat in your face? Now, I know that that's nasty. That's disgusting. I know what you might be thinking of wanting to do. But the bottom line is, if you got to be called the child of the highest, that you represent the highest God in the highest court anywhere, is that not worth more than just what we want and what we desire? All right, you might beat the guy up and then risk going to jail. Or you might have got your chest stuck out because you showed him. But you see, that went nowhere. That was a carnal physical thing. That's what any moron would do. That's what any barbarian would do. You take my piece of bread, I club you in the head. That's nothing. But think about being a child of the highest. Man, this thing is so much bigger than us. Because God wants to be able to look at us and say, Has thou considered my servant Sarah? Has thou considered my brother Martin? I mean, my son Martin? That's something to think about. You know, that we get to represent God. So we can really put it in the devil's face that your world doesn't dictate to us. Man, this, this is a beautiful thing for him. I mean, to worship God. Um, I think I'm in verse 30, 30, 36. So he says, Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Uh, good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same manner that ye meet withal, it shall be measured to you again. See, now fallen man doesn't like stuff like this because, you know, we always, we're good for playing the victim. But, you know, he's saying, as you do, it will be brought forward unto you. We've got to really recognize, man, this is just not about us. So let's move on. Let's go to Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6. We'll begin at verse 1, and it says, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that ye may have glory of men. Uh, verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So as you can see, if we're giving it to God, every little thing that we do, and we're doing it with a pure heart and not trying to put on a show for others, 
then we have God's favor. But if we're going outside of that, we don't have God. Verse 3, But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thy alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So, you know, how we pray at home alone should be the same way we pray anywhere else, okay? That determines how much we really believe God. Because if God is real to you, he's not a show for others. But many of us, you know, we save our best time around Christians. Then we start talking about the Bible and, you know, everything else. But do we even read the Bible in our private time? So you see, God is not fooled by any of this. He's looking for a pure heart that will do his will. Why? Because if you're doing these things in your alone time, that's who you truly are. Okay? If you're not doing these things in your alone time, that's who you truly are. Okay? Verse 7. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of uh, before ye ask. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Now notice, this is the Our Father prayer. The first thing he tells us to pray is, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So as you can see, this is a total selfless prayer that is not about us in any sense. It is about our Father, who art in heaven, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So a lot of us want to leave this battle up to the heavenlies, but we don't realize that if we're serving God and doing what he's saying on earth, that we also contribute to the battle. We should be praying. We should be fasting. We should be, you know, preaching the truth to others that God's will in heaven will be done on earth. I mean, think about it. Are there any unbelievers on, on in heaven? You know, because if they are, they've been all kicked out, okay? The ones that were unbelieving. So what God is saying is, as it's carried out in heaven, so should it be on the earth. Now, of course, we're not going to stop all evil and everything that's going on here. But, you know, those angels of heaven, they got it good where they are. But yet, they're down here fighting for you and I. I mean, but it is their fight because they have the same God that you do. We've got to be able to look for people and look at people that same way. That, man, these people are captives. These people are lost. So, yeah, I got saved, but what about the guy next to me? You know, and like I said, if Noah would have thought like us, if anybody in that time would have looked at life the same way we did, man, there'd be nobody here. Even Jesus, when he said, not your will, Father, not my will, Father, but your will be done. I mean, he sweated great drops of blood because he knew he was going to have to be the sacrifice. So he had a will which meant he could have chose to do it or not to do it. But thank God for Jesus that he obeyed the Father and ignored his flesh and went forward. So what chance have other people if God is calling for us to do the same thing and we don't? This is not a guilt trip. I'm speaking to myself. This is something where we all need to get to that place of, man, how important is the next man's life aside from mine? And we've got to get ready to do what God says because this is what God wants. So then he says in verse 11, 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So notice he was talking about us being set free from all temptations. Do we really want to know in this life what is evil? You know, do we, do we truly really want to know what is against God in my life? Because we have an idea of some things, but then there's so many other things that are, you know, against him that keep God from working with us and doing certain things in my life. But this weekend is going to be fun because there's going to be a cleanup job in here for real. <laughs> Boxes going out and everything else, you know. He, um, I prayed and he showed me uh, yesterday. He was actually telling me that um, there's certain things he wouldn't do for me because of things that I have here and I don't even use. I don't even use it. It's just laying up in the closet. But you know what? It's not good enough for God. He wants it out because of what it represents and it's not of him. So, you know, like I'm going to be doing some winter cleaning or, you know, whatever needs to be done. But, you know, God is just telling him that the very little things that you don't think mean anything to him, they mean a lot. And it's one thing when he shows you what those things are in your sleep. That makes moving stuff out easy because he already got the list. All right. There's this, 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 this. It's got to go, you know. So praise the Lord, you know. All right. The dirt <laughs> devil. He's going to say, look at the title on that. So, you know, it's just one of those things where we just got to learn. And, you know, when you go further down, he talks about not serving two masters. He talks about the light of the eye being good and not evil because, you know, uh, many of us can be in dark light. We can think that we see the light and we're in the light, but that light is dark. Why? Because it does not bring us closer to God. So the things that inspire us from day to day, if they're not of God, they're dark light. You know, it's evil and it cannot bring you closer to God. So, you know, I've been praying this week and I just hope that we all begin to pray, Lord, what is it in my life that's keeping me from doing what you want? What do you really want? Do you want to take this body and, and just do what you need to do with it? If so, if you've got to starve it, if you've got to feed it, if you've got to throw it in jail, if you've got to take me across the Sahara Desert to preach the gospel, Lord, let your will be done. We've really got to learn to give it to the Lord like that. You even got to ask the Lord, do you want me to be married? Do you want me to do this? Do you want me to do that? You know, because the Lord may say, yeah, I want you to be, but not right now. Or he may say, yeah, you need to get married before you go. <laughs> you know, because there's other things that I need fulfilled. But every little thing we do does affect our neighbor. And it's time we stop looking at it like, well, that's his life. No, that's your life too. If your brother is, is condemned and you know it, you should be there for him. All right? You should be there to preach the gospel. James has these little videos that he's been given. Um... And I looked at some of them, you know, like the animated. Did, did I send it to you yet? There's this animated thing where they were talking about people keeping their light on God. But there was one I saw the other day called Lazy Christians. And it was just so interesting how there was a woman, she's in a tank, and she's riding, and the Holy Ghost is next to her in the tank. And she's just going around patrolling, doing what God says. And there was a person that ran out of nowhere and said, help me. You know, help me in, in everything that's going on, and I need your help. And the woman is like, popped open the top, and she's looking. Oh, can I help you? And the Holy Ghost is sitting next to her like, 
And it says the Holy Ghost was grieved, you know, by this or whatever. But we didn't, I didn't understand why until you continue watching. So as the woman agrees to help without the consent of God, gets out of the tank and she's covered in armor. But as she continues talking to this woman and ministering and helping her, that her armor is going off. So I was like, does that make sense? Because God wants us to do his will. But as she continued walking with this woman, before you knew it, the woman was like, I need to learn about the Bible. I need to learn this. I need to learn how to pray. Blah, 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 blah. So she said, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I'll help you. I'll help you do all this. So while she's helping her with all this, her armor starts going away. Then you're walking, and now the woman is on her shoulders, and she's carrying her, and the woman is still, I need this, blah, 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 blah. And she's just carrying her. And then she asked the woman, did you even pray? And the woman, oh, sorry, I forgot. Did you even study? Oh, no, I forgot. So she's just, you know, tugging with her and carrying her. So finally, another, um, you know, spiritual believer came up to her and was like, put that person down. Like, you know, what you're doing right now is you're enabling this person. And God didn't tell you to do this. And he said, go away, lazy Christian. You know, you're evil or whatever. But what, what ended up, what would make it make more sense is if you guys saw the video, because before the, um, the lazy Christian walked over to the woman, the devil was behind the tree like, <laughs> and then when she agreed to help, he was like, perfect. So sometimes we can get tied into things that God doesn't call us to. So it's important that we learn to yield to him because many of the devil's attacks don't seem like attacks, but they become attacks when we don't yield to the spirit. Okay. Because the devil, God knows who's going to waste your time and who's not. Does that mean we shouldn't help them? No, but God may instruct you how. God may tell you, yeah, pray for this person, teach them whatever they need to learn. But if they don't want to, don't keep pushing. Move forward with someone that will. But, you know, so that's that's just really interesting how a lazy, what they were showing is the devil uses lazy Christians a lot to pull other Christians down. Where they think they're being fruitful and productive, you're actually getting pulled down because you're not yielding to what God wants. These people just want to waste your time. So it's just really um, interesting. So if anybody has anything to add, they can. If not, let's go on. I want to go to, um, let's go to Romans chapter 6. What's the name of that video? I'll send it to you, but I can't even remember the name of it. But they got a lot of them about the path of life, how um, two, like a bunch of people are walking. John the Baptist instructs them, and he says, you guys need to stay. You see that tiny light all the way down there? Stay walking on that and believe him. And he says, there are going to be people that are going to come to try and, you know, deceive you, but just stay on him. So as they walk, they see people saying, let us tell you about God. And you got the Pope out there. You got all kinds of religious leaders and everything. And they're waving, come with us, you know, let us, let us show you. So like nine of them go that way. But then two of them said, no, I'm going to stay on the light. So those two get baptized in the spirit. And everybody else is getting picked off by the enemy and deceived and walking and just feeling defeat and beat up. But it's just one of those things where they're trying to show you, of course, we need teachers and things like that because God gave them to perfect the saints. But we've got to remember to always keep our minds on Christ. You know, we don't preach for people to serve us. We preach to lead people to Christ, a relationship with him. That's one of the biggest differences in, in, in ministering. A lot of ministers want you to love them and accept them when really it's about leading people to Jesus. Right. You know, all right. you are is the person that just says, 
hey, come to Jesus this way. You know, and this is what you need to do. We need teachers that are following that light too. Exactly. Follow me as I follow Christ, says Paul. Absolutely. Amen. Amen, bro. What verse are we at? Uh, Romans chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 1. But the Lord has even told me, man, there are times I complained about people and this person was this and that to me. And the Lord is like, why do you even care? Why is it so important to you that this person, you know, you just, you want something for you? Why is it even a concern? Pray for them and do what I'm telling you to do. But man, we get hurt to our heart when people don't treat us right. And it's like, who are you? If they're forsaking Christ, who are you that you should be loved by all? See, that's a fairy tale of fallen man. All right, so this is Romans 6. Let's look at verse 1. And it says, What shall I say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto, into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead, by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So we got to understand that we didn't know that we were baptized, that we were also baptized unto the death of Christ. And this is where we can't be double-hearted and double-minded with Christ. We've got to look at it like, okay, if we were baptized to having all the goodness of Christ, that's awesome. But do you not know that two people can't live in this body? Do you realize that one is the car and the other one is one that Jesus Christ drives? You know, that's where we got to get to the place and really understanding that we're not just baptized unto Christ. We're baptized unto his death, meaning like as he had forsaken himself here, we ought to forsake ourselves that God can work in us. That's important, man. This is like Bible 101, because in many ways we tend to feel like it's great that I'm with Christ, but let me drive Jesus you know, for a little while, and I'll get back to you later on. We've got to trust him in this path and what is necessary. That means that there should come a point that our desires become like his. And like I said, to the carnal mind, and even some things to me, some of these things are foreign because we're not fully stepped in to the place of, Lord, what do you think about this man? What do you want to do today? Not what the world already has laid out for me, but Lord, what do you want? And in some cases, man, it's even good to have money in some ways and follow Christ because now you've got resources available for preaching the gospel. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody can't go everywhere, but sometimes, yeah, I'm not against money, but that money in some ways is, I mean, it's a valuable thing when, when it can be used for God. Because just how you may have a passport, you need to take a trip somewhere. Hey, I'm going here to represent you. Or Lord, where do you want me to go? Man, God can send you anywhere. Man, a rich man that's denied to Christ? Man, you're talking a living, you know, nuclear weapon. Because this person can be used. Not only that, this person can do the will of God to distribute to those in need. Man, God can use someone like that. Verse 4, he can use anybody, but you know. So verse 5, so he talks about us walking in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So if we lived like Jesus lived, we are guaranteed the very resurrection that he received coming back from the dead. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, 
that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. You know, um, I can't remember which pastor said it that I've heard, but he says that if we give 95% of our lives to Jesus, he says that we're still the servants of Satan. He said, because whenever Satan can use you, that makes you a servant. If we give the Lord 95% of what we do, and I'm speaking to growth in Christ, okay? I'm not saying we got to be this way right away, but he brought up a valuable point. If we give 95% of our lives to Christ, but there's 5% out that we don't give, how can we really be the servant of Christ when the devil can pick up that 5%? And even if it's just for a little bit of time throughout the day, have his will be done. So you see, a person that is dead to self and alive to Christ is given over to Jesus Christ completely that the devil can't use you, not even for a moment, not even to slander your brother, not even to tell lies. You know what I'm saying? Not even to do things that you would do. So when we're given over, God dictates and we won't serve sin. Verse 7. Well, it's probably because that 5% is like, you know, it can gain interest. Therefore, Absolutely. It becomes, seven, it becomes nine. <laughs> Absolutely. Wicked, wick, there is a such thing as wicked seeds that bear fruit. That's why Jesus doesn't play that. He wants them all out. He said, the ruler of this world comes. He's got nothing in me. Jesus was emptied out from the world, from the flesh, and from the devil. So he's saying that if we will obey the spirit as he did, look at where we would be in him. Okay? For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead uh, with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death have no more dominion over Christ, over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto the Lord uh, through Jesus Christ, I mean through God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so let's look at this. This goes kind of back to what we were talking about in Luke 6. These things don't mean a whole lot to a carnal mind. It really doesn't. When you, when you, when you read this, if we're carnally minded, man, this just sounds like defeat. This just sounds like, man, so you mean to say, I can't do nothing? And even if you were to go to Jesus and say, well, Lord, well, then what can I do then since I can't do all this and that? That's still a heart that's not after Christ. Because it should be, Lord, what do you want? You see what I'm saying? So to die out to self is to empty out your desires for the things that are against God. Now, of course, God knows some of us are married. He'll tell us, you know, go home and be with your wife. He'll tell you, man, take care of your kids. Go away for the weekend and do whatever because I want these kids to learn, blah, blah, blah. God is, I mean, he's reasonable, okay? You can talk to God. So he doesn't abandon those responsibilities, but... When he means to be dead to self and alive to God, means to forsake all your desire. Everything that you would do, God, what do you want me to do with this? And when we become obedient that way before him, man, I'm telling you, God will start to give more to you in your life because he can trust you. Why God would never let some of us raise the dead when we're immature in Christ is because that would be too much for you. What would happen is, you would idolize it. You would go and tell everybody about it. You would even try and get the newspapers and some witnesses with you to say, see, 
was not a one and what time it was. God is not for that, you know? God, of course, would get the glory, but the thing is, is he knows that we can idolize things too early. God have given a lot of people things and a lot of people have gone crazy with them. You know, Solomon was made king of Israel and God gave him great wisdom because he said, Lord, I don't know whether to go in or come out. You know, give me a hearing heart that I may obey you. And that pleased God. But, you know, as he went on, I need a thousand women. You know, he just began to lose it because he began to go places that God didn't intend for him to go. Even with all the warning, these things got to him. But what did God tell Solomon? You know, it's not about having multiple wives, but stay away from these wives because they will turn away your heart. But Solomon figured, you know, women are women. I'm the great Solomon. I could go around, fool around, and come back. But as you found out, he fell away. His heart was turned from the Lord just by his own desires. And I can tell you, a worldly heart would never want to serve God. No matter what, a worldly heart is the enemy of God. No matter, I'm, I'm telling you, you will choose your desires over his. All right, so it says, I believe I'm in verse 12. And it says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. So he said, don't even let it reign in your body. When the thoughts come in, kick them out. You know, when things come or whatever, Lord, what do you want? You know, to walk in the spirit. So it says in verse 13, Neither yield ye your members as the instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. So he's making it clear to what this grace is about. This grace is only to fulfill what the law could not. This grace is only to grow stronger with Christ, that God's will may be fulfilled in us, and we may be the image of Christ. That is the whole purpose of grace. And, you know, it's just really sad. It's kind of scary and unfortunate that the devil has been able to tell us that everyday life is normal when every account I read in the Bible, everyday life is evil. You know, everyday life is, is a matrix that is against God, that is in one way or another leading you away from Christ. And I remember in the movie when they mentioned that, that you can feel the matrix all around you when you pay your taxes, when you go to church. And when they said, when you go to church, I was thinking like, whoa, hey, what are they trying to say? This is of the devil. And most of the movie was. But the point they were bringing up is that a lot of people are even bound by religion that they never get to the place of understanding the church is only a saint, sanctified and separated unto God. That's it. When he spoke to the church of Galatia, they were a, the people of Galatia that believed Christ. Okay, they were the Corinth, the people of Corinth that believed Christ. But people will look at the building and it says church and everybody flocks in there. And it's like you, that you may not be any closer to God than you were when you were outside. So it's really about a body of believers, those who truly believe Christ. But man, it's just so much, man. And I'm probably going to get fired soon, you know, at some point, because I realize I've been a lot more aggressive you know, at work with this, and I'm realizing it's starting to cross borders of, you know, um, administration, and, you know, people are starting to look, and I'm starting not to care, 
you know, and I can just tell at some point, I just, I, I can feel it coming. You know, the devil's not going to let this go on for long, but you know what? It's going to be as long as the Lord allows it. We've just got to recognize that it's about fulfilling his will and not ours. Because then when I think about it, like, I want to keep my job and I want to do things there. But then I'm sitting there thinking about how stressed out I'll get, how these kids don't listen. I go home. I mean, I've got headaches. I don't even have enough strength to break. So what am I really hanging on to? What's that? Oh, I said God forbid. You know, it's true. Just something. The Lord's telling you to do what you're doing, then it should be fine. Yeah. Yeah, but see, that can also come with consequence. You know what I'm saying? He can tell you to do it, but he even said, hey, these people are going to turn against you. It's going to happen. You know, it's guaranteed for a Christian. Christians always get in trouble. You know why? Because we're always in the middle of something telling people what is right in Christ. And this world hates Jesus. So, yeah, you're going to have some moments of people coming to you and wanting to hear. But, man, that school belongs to the devil. Okay? The whole thing belongs to the enemy. So, when he gets ready to shut it down, I might be used there for now. But where will he have me tomorrow? You see what I'm saying? But if he decides to move me, I can't worry about that. I can't be, Lord, I thought you told me to preach the gospel, and now that, you, now that I'm fired, I'm mad at God? That's ridiculous. Then why aren't you even preaching in the first place? So we've got to trust him. Maybe you should move up and get a promotion. Yeah, but, I mean, if he, if he calls for it, then so be it. But if not, hey, I'm just there to do what he's telling me to do. You know, it's... it's Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like that's something that's actually come to my mind is, is that if I talk about Jesus Christ at work and I get called before the supervisors and they say, why are you talking about this? That could be me, the Lord telling me, I want you to witness to your supervisors. Exactly. People just like everyone else. Yep. Is. Yeah, because we may think that we're like hiding out in the shade and away from stuff, you know, because we, we talk to the people and we manage to keep our job 10 years, but judgment day the lord will say why didn't you say anything to your uh, boss and you well i didn't want to get fired you know how's that gonna go over with god you know what i'm saying that's the whole point he's gonna tell you you were supposed to talk to them i don't want anybody's blood on my hands you know and that's what i'm just praying that the lord delivers now little easton you guys know melissa's son and easton's on fire easton and i have been like you know talking and he's been like trying to pursue the lord and He's defending against evolution, and I mean, he's just telling it like it is. And students are saying something. My little niece, um, uh, what's it, Gianna, she's also, you know, telling kids in school, um, you know, you need to believe in G or believe in God. And the kids will say, why do you need to believe in God? Or, or they say they believe, and she says, which God do you believe? And they'll say, um, Jesus. And she said, well, that is the right one. And then some kids have told her, well, not everybody believes in Jesus. And my niece said, well, then you're going to hell. And my sister said, my sister said she didn't know that my niece was doing this. But, you know, my niece says, see, kids are like sponges. And that's why God is going to use younger and younger people. You know why? They don't care about anything. They're not bound in the world like us. We know that a career can be beneficial to you. But these kids are like, you know, they're at that place of freedom where they can say whatever they want to say because, you know, nothing can really come their way. The most they're going to get is a talking to, oh, this kid got suspended, but he's using younger people because they're not attached. 
why God had to make that older group fall off in the wilderness. They had too much Egypt in them, and they refused to go forward. They were so used to tradition and the way that things were. They only wanted to take God as far as church, that God is going to use a new breed. He's just going to, man, I need people like a John the Baptist that's just going to go out and do what I'm saying. Not attached to anything, no affiliation to anything, but my will actually being done. Because we're all going to be John the Baptist in the future. Where are you going to work unless you receive a mark? So we're going to be all brought to the place of that freedom that we can serve the Lord no matter where we are. But I notice he's starting to get to these kids. These kids are bold. There's even a kid that I'm not going to say his name, but, you know, he's been telling me about God and everything like that and talking about the Lord. And I mean, these kids are getting bold. They're getting real bold. And I want to encourage them. Why? Because, man, after them, if their generation is corrupt, totally corrupt and we're gone, then who can God use next? So, man, it's time to start breathing on these kids, man, and feeding them the things that they need to know to defend against the enemy. Because what the enemy is doing is finding new tricks and lies to deceive the kids. Mm -hmm. Now, will we, could I get in trouble possibly if I were to minister to kids? Absolutely. But then again, as the, as the title for tonight's study is, this thing is bigger than you. It's bigger than us, man. This is about Jesus. Instead of facing the administration, how am I going to feel before him? You know, on judgment day. And we got to, he's got to be that real. He's got to be that real. Um, I believe I'm in verse 16. And he says, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourself, um, yourself servants to obey, his servants ye are, and to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. That ye, uh, yeah, that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart um, that form of doctrine which was delivered you. So what we got to understand is that he's making clear whomever we yield our members to, we are the servants of. And that's why we can serve God 95% of the day. And give the devil 5%, but whoever we are, we're the servants of. Yeah, bro. Well, back to that, it's that 5%. It's like, you know, if you're going to lie 95%, if you're going to tell 95% of the truth, you're lying. It doesn't matter if it's like 99%. You're, you're there you lying. go. Yeah. But I don't want to get you fired, but have you ever thought about doing a study just for the kids? Just for the, you know, your Absolutely. Kids? Absolutely. Just, just do one for them. And just like, you know, if you guys want to mm -hmm. hear something cool, I mm -hmm. said it by you. Mm. Yeah, you could, but then there's a lot of other stuff like suits and things. So, you know, I just go over them. I talk to many of them, you know, and I'm not going to tell on here what, what I do with many of them, but I don't hide the gospel. I don't hide the truth, you know, from them. Half the time when we hear. Just for them, yeah. No, totally. But half the time when we hear like stupid things on CNN and all that, I'll be the first. Man, that's garbage. <laughs> you know, I come straight out and tell them, man, this is a lie. You know, and people look at me like, geez, you know, you're saying that. But yeah, I'm saying that. Why? These little kids' minds are being poisoned. Man, this is the next generation. If we don't give our lives for them, what's going to be left? I mean, come on. We want to help preserve them so they can preserve the next generation. But if we don't yield our vessels to God, then what are we doing, man? Trying to save self? Corporal way to do a study for them would be just literally to do a study, record it yeah. on YouTube. 
Mm -hmm. They'd be like, hey kids, you guys should check this out. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, it's just another YouTube video. Mm -hmm. They're on there watching so much YouTube videos. Oh yeah, because what I do in my private time, they can't say anything against, although the enemy will try and find a way to do things. But the bottom line is, you know, you're right. There are things that we can go forward and do it. That's right. Just imagine how many of those kids are going to say, wow, Mr. Hallett did a study for us? I want to go listen to this thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. they'll be listening. They'll be like, well, it's already, well, it's already happened too. You know, um, there was a boy kid that said, Mr. Hallett, um, I looked you up and he was right. He looked up the video and it was, um, uh, what was it? What is the grace of God? And I said, you listen to a few minutes of it. He was smiling. Matter of fact, you met him that day. We were out there, the bigger, yeah. He was like, um, I listened to the whole thing. You know, then another student came, Mr. Allen, I heard you praying to God and, you know, other things like that. But it's just so funny how, you know, they are. But, yeah, I'm not afraid of it, you know, but I just want to bring it along right, you know, before him. Because, I mean, if I get moved before my time is up there and what God calls to do, then, you know, you know, then that's just what it is. But I know I'm going to be in it. I've already put it in myself to, you know, I'm going to go through. But that's okay. That's okay, man. If we got nothing to die for, we got nothing to live for. That's what we got to really think about and consider. We are sacrifices unto God that God's will can be done. And we've got to see it that way, man. We got to start living our lives that way. There's too many people out here lost for us to be worried about self. Self or love for self is antichrist. Why? Because Jesus never told us to love yourself. Do you realize that? He said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, what did he mean by that? Because naturally, you are going to love what you live in. You're going to shower the body. You're going to feed it. I mean, unless you're just somebody that don't want to do it, but, you know, naturally, you're going to care for the body. He said, love your your neighbor as yourself. But he never tells us to love ourselves. Nothing wrong with loving yourself. Okay, but he never commands us to do that. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't even say the way you love yourself or the way I command you to love yourself, love your neighbor. He never commands you to love self. Why? And remember uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. In the last days, perilous times will come. Why? Because men shall be lovers of their own selves. And that's why times are so dangerous. Because too many people are given over to them and not unto God. Not unto their neighbor, loving him. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It should be almost done. Yeah, you should start sowing that seed. Do like a Bible study. Mm -hmm. One every month for kids. Mm -hmm. And then have them follow your YouTube. And see, that's the whole thing. It's like, man, everybody should have an apple in this. You know, everybody should play a role in this. Mm -hmm. Because we all know children. We all know situations that kids go through and what's in the world. But we should all be built up to the place of recognizing, Lord, this is bigger than you and I. Because I feel bad for the prophets, man. Those guys walked around with the spirit of Jesus, proclaiming and preaching, and nobody heard them. You know, and and that's how the world is sometimes. Everybody wants Superman. Everybody wants to push up a hero. Everybody loved Martin Luther King. You know, and I don't want to go there because I don't worship any man. But the point is, is that, you know, what would it be like if we all got full of the spirit and we all did what the Lord said? Now you're talking about David's army in First Sam, in First uh, uh, Chronicles chapter 12, where there were just so many they couldn't even deal with it. But see, the devil fears that, which is why he tells us we can't do things. God's not looking for your ability. 
God wants a willing vessel with a pure heart that will go. It, was, it wasn't even in God's plan to use Aaron. God wanted to use Moses. Okay, but Moses said, I don't speak well. And the Lord said, well, Moses, you're my chosen vessel. All right, if you want to bring Aaron, then bring Aaron. But God's plan was to use Moses. But Moses, oh, I don't, well, I'm not looking for you to do it, Moses. I just want your vessel so that this can be done. But we've got to learn to yield ourselves to God. Stop, stop worrying about your ability, okay? Because our ability can't get us into the kingdom of heaven. Lord, what do you want me to do? Yes, sir. Point on that is, it's like remember how the disciples, when we did that, the, the Sabbath or the not Sabbath teaching, where Paul went, went in and reckoned with them every Sabbath day. Well, he, like you said before, like the scripture says, that he went to where the people were. Mm -hmm. And today is the same thing. Well, where is the majority of the people at today? They're on social media. Mm -hmm. And so it's taking the gospel to where the people are. Mm -hmm. and the, even in that aspect before the whole thing gets you know, shut down. But the one thing it can never be about is us. It can't matter how many likes we get or how many comments that people make unless it's for edification process. Mm -hmm. But it's taking the gospel to where people are. Because everyone got their phone stuck in their face today. So why not give them the gospel while it's there? Mm -hmm. you, you know? got to be covert about it, yeah. You got to give it to I them the put, way they want it. I just... I, it ain't the way God, it's the way God wants it because I put stuff on Facebook so that people will get the gospel. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? But mm -hmm. I don't know, I'm trying to sugarcoat stuff because I see that you know I see stuff on there where it's like people are trying to sugarcoat and do stuff like that. I'm like, well, is that like you know really saving people or mm -hmm. you know giving? I mean, obviously you have the spirit of discernment in the process, mm -hmm. but it's like you got people looking at stuff and because majority of the church has been so tainted today with, you know, false gospel. That's what people are used to. And it's like, man, what's really saving people? How is God using us to actually save people? It's like, it's time to get back to the old path, like that teaching and actually give gospel, you know, the way it is. Yeah, that's the whole thing, man. It's like, what are we willing to do for the Lord? Yeah, I meant like the way they want to, like the vehicle she used to say what the Lord's saying. Mm-hmm. That's right, because we can't do anything without his consent or his word. That, that's even preaching the gospel. We can labor in vain if we don't hearken unto him and let him speak, let him choose the words. You know, so that's just so important that we learn this. So let's go to uh, verse 9. This is 1 Corinthians 6 and 9. And it says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. So notice on here, you know, everybody knows fornicators are not getting in, idolaters. Like, I think that's going to be the biggest thing on this list. Idolatry is going to be the biggest thing to send people to hell. You know why? Because it can get masked in so much. What, what God calls idolatry, in many cases, we call love. We call desire and dedication. We call... Um, success. And we don't even know in many cases we can be idolaters. We can even call it love, you know? And it's just one of those things that idolatry is going to be a big deal. It could also be like false idols too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, like a statue of Mary or something. Oh man, forget it. Right. You know, those, you know, that's, that's what's so hard for people. It's like, unless we, I mean, this makes it simple. Unless we love the Lord thy God, 
with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now think about it. That's your heart. How you would feel towards somebody and your mind. You think about it constantly. And your soul. Your mind, will, and your emotions are governed by God. And your strength. Man, every little ounce of whatever. Jesus prayed all night so that he could be ready in the morning to do what's what. Unless we love God like that, you're an idolater. It's that simple. It's that simple. There's no other way to dress that up. Unless we love God and we fulfill the first commandment of God, then we are idolaters. And that is clear. And how can I prove this? Because he says back in Exodus 20, I am the Lord your God, which taketh you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And he says, I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, visiting the iniquity of those unto the third and fourth generation for them that hate me. So he calls idolaters hatred, haters of God. When Jesus was asked, what is the first and great commandment? The first five commandments fill that one. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. The second commandment is to love your neighbor, which are the last five commandments. So you see, those laws were always governed by loving God and loving your neighbor. That's all the Ten Commandments represented, was to have God first and foremost and your neighbor. But like we said, if there's a 5% in there that doesn't have a heart after God, we're idolaters because we love something else. I'm not saying we can't love children. Children wouldn't even be a part of the equation or wives or whatever. But let's just say you love them and you obey them more than God. Because the Bible says the head of every man is Christ. Amen. The head of the woman is the man. The head Amen. of Christ is God. Amen. So if we are to walk in that way, Christ is your head. Not your wife, not your husband, Amen. not your children, not your boss. It's Christ. So if we don't have Christ as our head, then we're listening to another. And that makes us idolaters. I mean, I, I hate to say that because I even see some of that within myself. But the fact of the matter is, unless we are totally given over to obeying Christ, Think about it. Why would people accept the mark of the beast when all this gets cut from you? The very things that you love, when they're cut from you, those who receive the mark are going to be idolaters because they don't believe that God is their everything and he can take care of them. A lot of people are going to be given over to their appetite. He said, not just the mark, but those who have the name of the beast or the number of his name. So that's important to think about. God's got to be your everything because he is a jealous God. But yeah, if you love anything more than God, or if you if he if you don't love, fulfill the first commandment, then you've got another God. You're an idolater, or you're a part-time lover. You love God in the morning, and you love the devil in the noonday. You know, or you go back and forth, but God wants you to have a heart after him. Many times he told Israel that they were cheating on their husband because of the things that they were doing in places that they went. You said, like, you know, 5% in can what? bear fruit. Okay. They can grow. 5% of negativity can bear fruit. If you begin to love things more than him, God has his time for everybody, family, friends, wives, kids, all those things. But the head of every man must be Christ. Okay. And the head of the woman is the man, but she has to love the Lord thy God with all her heart, mind, and soul too. You got to love him more than anything. I think there's a big struggle with that right now. Like I see mm-hmm. a lot of women not having their head being their husband mm-hmm. and a lot of men not having their head being Christ mm-hmm. and what ends up happening is kind of that flip economy where the woman's the head of the man yeah and then when the man kind of snaps into like it or wants the Lord and tries to kind of get out of under that economy there's divorces 
you couldn't have said a truer thing. And that's what happens because if it falls in line with the way God wants it, it goes in divine order. Okay, God looks at it as in divine order. Men of God. I mean, Abraham was going to sacrifice his own son. Do I need to say more? I mean, that that makes it unbelieving that we're idolaters. Abraham at that point was already known as a friend of God. So Abraham could have just said, well, Lord, um, I gave you everything else. I'm not giving you my son. And I think that's asking a lot, don't you think? He just grabbed his son, you know, took that rope and that knife, and he believed God until God said, hey, do your son no harm. Abraham, I know this day that that will hold nothing, 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 nothing back from me. But that's a friend of God. Have I mastered that? No. But the point is, is he's working with that in my life. I can be realistic enough to say that. But I know what path that I should be on. And that's why he's going to continue to just move things out till we can be in that place. But unless he's first, we got nothing. Mm-hmm. All right, so he says, nor thieves, nor covetous. Covetous is greed. Nor drunkards or revilers, there's a wild partiers. Nor extortioners uh, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. And by the spirit of our God, all things are lawful unto men, but all things are not expedient. You see how all things are not to your benefit. Some things hold you back. Uh, All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So you see the difference there? There's nothing wrong with taking your family to the beach, but to be brought under the power of the beach is the problem. You see what I'm saying? When God is calling you, your power or your lust, your desires are here. That's when it becomes a problem. It's just like, yeah, well, I can go and play golf with you guys this weekend, you know, but I'm not brought under the power of it. It's not an every week thing. It's not when God's calling me, well, Lord, it's a, it's a tournament this week, so I got to be there, you know, and they're expecting me to be there. This is all about everything being in its rightful place. Gonna put that golf on the altar. Pretty much. (laughs) But you know, this is so true. But this is something that if this is foreign to us, then that just means that we've got to clear out more flesh so that Christ can live. So then he says, meats are for the belly, but the belly and the belly for meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord uh, and will also raise us up. Or raise us by his own power. So what we're looking at here is it says that fornication is not for the body. We know that there is physical fornication and there is spiritual fornication. Okay? What we are fall in line with or what we become intimate with is fornication if it's against God. So he says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall we then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. He says, what? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. Now, remember at the end in Revelation 18, God specifically says, come out of her, my people, Babylon the great, this great whore that is falling. Why? Because if whatever we link ourselves to, we will be judged according to. That's why I work when they try and get me into you know, um, other things, we need to vote, we need to be a part of the union and all that. Nah, man, I'm, I don't got nothing to do with that. Because for all I know, the union could be hold down homosexuality. 
They could be a part of abortion or whatever. So whatever we link ourselves to, we can be a part of. I ain't got nothing to do with worldly affairs. I work here. I'm doing what I need to do, and that's it. But my only allegiance is to Christ. All right? So he says, you will be one flesh. So you cannot join yourself to the world and think that you're separate from it. You become one flesh. 17, but he that is joined unto the world, unto the Lord, is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye, are, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? So he's giving us a clue here. He says, flee fornication because we sin against our own body. Then he goes right into that we are the temple of the living God. So you see, it's important that Paul brought us to this place of knowing this because all we can see ourselves as we're just men. We're just men trying to follow Christ, trying to live an average life so we don't have to worry about it. But you see, if the temple isn't filled like God wants us to be, then that's failure. You know, God is expecting us to be full of him because we house him. He is, we are the temple of God. But see, if we see ourselves that way, it'll be easier for us to conform to what God wants. That it's an absolute failure to not have Christians today full of the spirit because we are meant to be the temple. What happened when Solomon wanted to build that temple? I mean, people brought gold and the artificers and everybody came from everywhere. Why? They wanted the presence of God. And what did it say? That the presence of the Lord filled the temple. And notice it wasn't made with hands. They said that the temple parts were already made so that they could just fit into place like God wants it. And that's what we are. We are temples not made with hands. We're only meant to house the Lord. So if we're not being the temple of God, look at what that makes us. That's failure. And God is holding us to high esteem. I want to live in you and make my abode in you. But it's your flesh that doesn't want me. Man, that's important for us to recognize and look at. We are the temple of God, of the creator of the universe, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. You mean to say, I'm him, I'm in him, or he's in me? Man, that's what we should be focused on. But again, this is foreign to the carnal mind. This sounds like defeat. I don't want to be the temple of God. Here's what I want. I want God to be my sugar daddy and take care of me when I need him. I'll talk to him when I feel like it. But other than that, I got things to do. Now, I'm not trying to be funny when I say that. That's a very real part of Christians' lives and people that are trying to walk the ways of God. He's got to be your husband. He's got to be your everything. Last couple of verses of the night, I'm just going to go to uh, 1 Corinthians 6 and I'm done. 1 Corinthians, not 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and I'm done. I'm glad you picked it up because the Lord was actually showing me that and we were actually going to go to Ephesians 6 where we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. So, you know, this thing is bigger than us. Every decision we make, it's a spiritual war. But he gave me Hebrew 6 on here. He even gave me Genesis 6. He gave me Isaiah chapter 6. You know, I mean, just certain things that God wanted to bring forward tonight. But I think why, you know, the 6s were brought up is because 6 is the number for man and beast. And in order to walk with Christ, we got to slay the beast and become the new man, not the old one. So I think that's why he gave me all these sixes, but you picked it up. <laughs> 
And some people would say, yeah, right, that's the Antichrist. Uh, he had nothing to do with that. He just kept pulling them out. All right. All right, First Timothy 6, and let's look at verse 1. He says, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. So you notice he talks about servants and masters like employers and employees. He's saying that we ought to treat each other right. Why? So that the doctrine of God be not blasphemed. One of the sad things that, and scary things that Nathan told David in um, Second uh, Samuel chapter 12 was Nathan said, you know, you gave the enemy a chance to blaspheme God because David was supposed to be king of Israel and he committed that act and it just allowed, um, and Nathan said, man, you don't realize now this is going to be heard all around and it's going to look like the king of Israel and his God is in for, um, is for unrighteousness and not to serve God. So every decision we make is either to glorify God or to forsake God, you know? It's important we see that. Verse 2, And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. So you see, your job is not supposed to stand in the way of that godly relationship and what it should be. You know, verse three, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, words that are beneficial, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, doting about uh, questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, and evil surmisings. So it makes clear that if we don't cling to the doctrine of godliness, which is loving the Lord and loving your neighbor, then what we do is give ourselves over to envy, gives ourselves over to strife, you know, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds and destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself. So this is another interesting thing. When it says perverse of disputings of men, another word for perversion is confusion. Now, if we're all believers in Christ and we read this word and we understand it, there should be no disputing amongst Christians because we're of one faith, one baptism, one Lord, okay, and God that is Father over all. So as Christians, we are supposed to believe the same. We are not supposed to have different doctrines in the body of Christ, okay? That's where the, the, the perverse disputings in this mess comes from because people want to fulfill their own will and not God's. So it says, withdraw yourself. It doesn't say, attend with them, man, get out of there. All right? And then it says, well, they believe gain is godliness. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into a temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. So this is important because he's making it clear here that we brought nothing in this world and we can take nothing out. So look at the reality God wants us to come to. Think about that which we hold dearest. We weren't born with. So one day we're going to have to part with. What is God telling us to do here? Stick with sure things. Stick with eternal things. Stick with things that, you know, will be going when you go, like your soul. 
you know, but this is what God wants us to pay attention to because, man, we can think so many things are important. And Jesus says, what is it in man to gain the world and lose his soul? How does that benefit you one bit? But what does it also prove? You can't take both through the door. If you can gain the world and lose the soul, that means you can't have them both. You know, and I'm not saying you can't be in this world, okay? But he says that those who be rich fall into temptation and the snare into many foolish and hurtful lusts. Do you know what? I realize I'm more generous when I have less money. That is a fact. You know, if I have less money, I don't mind giving to people. It seems like the more I get, you start looking at your little account and then you start thinking about what you can stack up and save for. But I notice when I have less, man, giving is nothing because after all, it's no big deal. But man, when you start watching your treasure get built up, that's what the Lord was telling that man who wanted to store all his treasure in the barn. He said, ye fool, you don't even realize your soul is required in hell tonight that you didn't even take care of the people. You looked after yourself. So these people can fall into that. Verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. So you see when they were greedy after it, they erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, he's speaking to us, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also uh, called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. So whether you're a mega billionaire or you're a pauper on the street, it is our right to preach the gospel, our will or God's will to preach the gospel and to get souls unto him. Okay, verse 13, I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things. And before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So notice everything he said from verse 1 until verse 13 is a doctrine. Okay, this, this is the doctrine of Christ. And he says to keep these things without spot, unrebukable, that you can't be blamed until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is in his in which in his time he shall shew who is the blessed and only Pontiac and King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who only have immortality, uh, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, um, whom whom no man hath seen nor can see, in whom be honor and power, uh, everlasting. Amen. Verse 17, charge them that are rich in this world that they might be, they might not be, that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So as you can understand, there are uncertain riches that we can fall into, but he's saying, man, don't trust in what you got. Trust in the living God, okay? That's what's most important. All right, verse 18, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold unto, laid hold on eternal life. So notice how he talked about that they got to be willing to distribute 
and willing to communicate the gospel. You know, laying up, and what are they doing? Laying up for themselves in storehouses a good foundation that God can say, you know what? You were faithful with what I've given you. Welcome unto the joy of the Lord. But if you notice, Jesus never cared about money and riches. That's what's so amazing about God. It's like, I mean, if you really sit around and think about it, those things that pull on our heartstrings, God cares nothing about. It's nothing to him. It means absolutely nothing. Man, give it away and follow me. Like, in other words, this is chump change. What I got is the kingdom of heaven. You know what I'm saying? It's something to think about. Look what he says in verse 20. Oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. So notice he talked about this knowledge, this science. There's a lot of false science today pulling people from God. But we've got to understand that this is all spiritual. Evolution was started by the devil. Okay, the devil inspired that. He inspired all these distant galaxies and what they claim is out there when God tells us what these things are. So I just want to say to people tonight that we need to get in this fight for Christ. We need to obey the Spirit and do what God tells us. Why? Because it's bigger than you and I. It's way bigger than you and I, man. This is not about just our generation, but the one to come. You know, and the one after that, and the one after that. But if we're not giving ourselves over to discipleship, helping people grow, getting people grounded in the faith, then what good is the treasure that God has given you? You get fat on the word of God. You become obese that you can't even move and do what he says. What God teaches, he intends to be distributed. But unless we understand that it's about him and not about us, then we'll never see that this thing is bigger than us. Man, what is it to be the donkey for Jesus Christ? What is it to be one of his 10,000 or his thousands that are coming out of the heavens, riding with him in the destruction of the earth? What is it to be called on that last day that we may be with Jesus doing what he says and being in all glory for eternity? What is worth that? But we've got to get to that place of knowing him because it truly is bigger than you, way bigger so I just want to tell people with that, I love you. Let's start looking at the things that God calls us to because all this stuff that we see before us is going to burn up. There is nothing that endures. What you do for man will be forgotten, but what you do for God will never be forgotten because he holds his word above his name. Let's go to... Matthew 27, and also get Hebrews 6. Matthew I'm glad you went there. Hebrews 6. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Matthew 27, Hebrews 6. I just want to do a kind of a correlation here between these two scriptures. Mm -hmm. right, Matthew 27, verse 1. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate the governor, then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he, had, that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us, see thou that to it, thou to that. 
And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and brought with and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken of by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver to price of the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value. Okay, um, so real quick with this, and we're also going to look at a few verses in Hebrews 6. But what Judas Iscariot did here, the Lord actually brought this to my attention early. We obviously, we know this story, that Judas betrayed Jesus. But a lot of times, you know, many people don't read the aftermath of what happened, what Judas, you know, thought about after he had betrayed Jesus. And he tried to go back to the Pharisees and say, you know what, what I did was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. Here's the money back. But what did they say to him? Now that they had Jesus, that meant absolutely nothing to them. Take your money and go. Take your money and go. And he was so, you know, hurt himself. But the one thing he didn't do is he did not repent. He did not fully repent of what he did because if he had, he wouldn't have gone and hung himself. So let's, with that thought in mind, let's go over to Hebrews 6. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and from faith and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism and the laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of the eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permit. So he's saying here is, is that if we're going to be in perfection, if we're going to live a life after Jesus Christ, we've got to be sanctified. We've got to just get out of our own thoughts and traditions and, and comfortability and say, okay, they're, like what's preached about tonight, this is bigger than us. And if we truly believe that, if I truly believe that, then it's a growth process to get to that perfection. But we've got to understand what's the price of that perfection. We've got to be willing to leave the world completely and totally behind. Verse 4, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted of the good word of God and the power of the world to come, if they fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify themselves to the Son of God afresh, the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. So what, what uh, Judas did here was is that he betrayed the Son of Man because he walked with him for three, three and a half years. He did everything. They, he said, the, the gospel says that Judas did everything that the disciples did. He walked with Jesus. He studied them or studied his word, everything. And in the very end, what happened? He betrayed him. And many people today believe that they are walking in Jesus Christ, believe that they are doing all the things of Jesus Christ, and, and they get to work. We're going to use work as, as an example or any situation in our life. And because they may think that the only way for me to win this person is to actually get in close with them, they will knowingly or unknowingly 
The Bible doesn't specify deny Jesus Christ to those people, even people in their own church, even people in their own family, to try and think that they're winning that person. But when it comes down to it, when they really realize that they are crucifying Jesus Christ afresh with what they're doing, they may say, they may try and repent and give the money back or take back the thoughts, but it could be too late at that process. Mm -hmm. We can't afford to compromise the gospel one centimeter, one inch, one nothing. Because it says if we deny Jesus before the world, he's going to deny us before the Father and the angels which are in heaven. So it's just something to think about. It's just something that he brought to my mind today is that when we're giving the gospel, yes, have the spirit of discernment, but we cannot afford to deny Jesus Christ in the process. we got to win souls according to his gospel and what he tells us. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, because even if you look at Philippians 1 and 9, I've been meditating on that scripture for a little bit, but it actually spoke about, I believe it's 1 and 9 or 1 and 19, but he spoke about, you know how everybody's pushing love, but it made clear in that verse that we are to love, but also have discernment. You know, not just to love openly, because some people feel like, well, the Lord may be telling me this, but I'm not sure. We just should just we should just love them. But the Bible talks about you know having that love and judgment and knowing what to do with it, not just being a fool. But a lot of people have become fools because they just love with an open heart, but they are they're blindfolded. So they just think they're doing God's will, but God may be instructing you to do other things as well. So we're supposed to love according to discernment and judgment. Yes, you love your neighbor and your enemy, but not as a blind fool that doesn't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. You know, God wants you to be able to know and what to do. So that's, that's very true. But, you know, tonight I just, I'm feeling it in my spirit. You know, I don't know how long we got. Only the living God knows, but... A lot of news reports and things the Lord has showed me a few years ago that, you know, once they're done, they're actually building. Like what Trump is doing now is he's talking about um, trying to amalgamate Canada, the United States, and Mexico, how they would become one. But as we know, when those groups become one, if you look at the 10-region uh, world map, the reason why they're building that wall is not to shut out the Mexicans, okay? People can forget that. It's got nothing to do with that. It's about keeping you and I in so that we can't leave. Okay, so that's the whole plan and everything that's going on. But if you look at the 10-region world map, they're already telling you how it's going to made up. They're going to have zone one, two, three, four, and it's going to be worldwide. But this is just another step in how the devil's amalgamating his system, putting it together, because they're, they're going to make moves. But we've got to trust in the living God. But this is why... As Christians, we should be given over to prayer. I mean, for real, man, real stuff. And I, I'm, I'm hoping that one day we can really have a prayer service where we can actually come together and pray. The reason is, is because we need to be built up in Christ. David said that if you guys will be with me, that my soul will be knit to yours. If we want to be believers of like precious faith and represent the Lord, then we need to be, you know, I'm not going to say, well, in some ways, tied in soul as brethren, that we may all follow Christ. Because in the end, it's not going to come a point for dead weight. I'm not going to have time to run back and get you. No one's going to have to have time to run back and get me. Either you are the virgin with the oil or you are not. But we've got to come to that reality of, man, these are dangerous times. I'm not saying don't live your lives. All I'm saying is there should be points as brethren that we should come together in prayer. And we should be really praying that each of us 
gets full of the spirit, then we can do the righteous works of God. Amen. That's what the Bible calls for. That's what the Lord is putting on my heart. I don't know what he's telling anyone else, but we need to really learn how to pray together. Because, you know, like any family, one that prays together stays together. Amen. So, you know, that's all I wanted to um, say tonight. Uh, anybody want to pray tonight? Any prayer requests or anything? Oh, I thought you were pointing to Sarah with oh, your foot. Oh, no, my knees are That's what I thought. <laughs> no. I'm praying for your knee, yeah. I'm giving it to Sarah. All right. Well, you don't feel good? No, I'll pray. All right. It's fine. I'll pray. Oh. Ah, Father God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for watching us from where you're at. Thank you for praying for us, Jesus. Thank you for interceding. Thank you, Lord. On our behalf. Yes, Lord. Let your spirit, we ask for your spirit to continue to dwell in our life. Thank you, Jesus. Let us be led by your spirit. Let us be moved by you. Let us not love in vain. Let us not speak in vain. Yes, Lord Jesus. Let us not pray in vain. Praying for ourselves, for you already know our heart's desire. You know the depth of us, Father, deeper than we do. You provide for us deeper and more than we can ever imagine. So we lay those things down, God. We ask for you, Father, to take reign in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. The Holy Spirit. Cut away anything that inhibits us from you, that weakens us, that, yes, that 5% that is just dwelling in our life. Cut that away, yes, Father. Lord. Show us, Father, what it is. Yes, Lord. Humble us, Lord, whenever we think we got it, Lord. Remind us, Father, who you are and how unworthy we are and how much more we need. Thank you, Jesus. How much more work there is to be done. Help us have faith in you, Jesus, more and more. Yes, Lord, pour out your spirit, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.